0: Seen that a few times now, and every time I um, get a little bit emotional. These are my friends. Um, recently, and uh, I'm involved in mission, and have been involved in, in mission for 23 years, sort of in a dedicated sense now, and. Um, the only reason I'm involved in mission is because of worship. And the uh, Pastor John Piper has said, mission exists because worship doesn't. I want to modify that a little bit. Missions exists because worshipers don't. Mission exists because there are people who don't know Christ and don't, aren't able to experience the joy of coming to know Him. And so our task is to bring more. Into you'll notice there a curious phrase: "Our Mother, of the Church." That's a Coptic um, fellowship that was that did that video, and they have a very real sense of the congregation, the Church of God, being like a mother hen gathering its children. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So, mission is bringing more people into that relationship with God that we share. Mission exists because worshipers don't. And uh, I've never experienced worship like I've experienced worship in Egypt amongst those for whom bitterness is a testimony of God's faithfulness. And so in my entire missions career, I've been exposed to a lot of heartache, a lot of grief, a lot of trial, trial circumstances, helped to support people in those situations of need and because of Christ's leading them into that place, and it's an absolute privilege to do so. so if I come across a little bit glum <laughs> um it's because through it all, I see as the dark as we perceive the darkness, the light of Christ and the light of God just is so much more glorious and illuminated, and as we've experienced through that video um It comes across through his people there. So in case you missed it, that video was made by some friends of mine uh, from Minya in Upper Egypt. And it's a little bit confusing because Upper Egypt is the south of Egypt. It's about elevation, not uh, compass direction. Um, It's it's part of their response uh, to Muslim radicals sweeping through the city of Minya and ransacking churches and then burning churches that have stood for over a thousand years. And the response you've seen there is one of absolute, we trust in God. The buildings, the priests, the Coptic priest said, it's not the buildings, the frescoes or the icons. The church is the people. And they stood and they extended love to their persecutors. And they responded only in kindness. I had the privilege of visiting Egypt almost immediately after that happened in the Second Revolution in September of 2013. I sat with young and old Egyptian believers and listened to the hope they had in the future. The country was going to custard, and they just had so much hope that now was the time of God's favor. The hope of what Jesus had done for them um, and for their future. It gave me tremendous hope. Unbelievable amount of hope. It's a hope that they want to share with others and it now fuels their desire to, for mission. You know, thank God for Bruce praying for the refugee situation. Just as an aside, I finished my role as director of Pioneers New Zealand in November, um, having been, have a sense of call on God from God to leave in January. had no idea what we were going into. but three weeks ago I got a knock on well a little more than a month ago, I got a, a knock on my email inbox. And good friends of mine have um, been working in an industry that I've known about for some time. And they said, we want you to come and work for us. I said, explain to me, what is it that you're doing again? And they said, we're helping the local church to develop educational resources for refugee camps. I said, oh, where's that happening? In Egypt. Amongst who? Amongst the Syrian refugees. And one of the curious things about Europe taking all these refugees, you notice that none of the Muslim nations are taking any. They're big fat zero in terms of how many refugees they're taking in from Syria, from among their own people. God is doing something tremendous in these days that the Egyptian believers believe this is the collapse of Islam. As I sat with them and I asked them why they're not dismayed in the face of such violent persecution, they said, because our God is greater Can't you see? They said, for over 1,300 years, we've lived under the shadow of Islam. And God has never failed us through that. But we believe he is now delivering Egypt as he promised in Isaiah 19, specifically verse 22, where it says, The Lord will strike Egypt. And then he will bring healing, for the Egyptians will turn to the Lord, and he will listen to their pleas, and he will heal them. And everybody I talked to, and the Coptic priests and the evangelical priests were saying, this has never happened in the whole history of Islam in the Middle East. What is happening today is unprecedented. And this is the center of what God is going to do around the world. This is the beginning of the end. If that doesn't give you goosebumps, I don't know what it does. I've, you know, I've lived this stuff and it still gives me goosebumps. And they said, look, this is happening in unprecedented ways in our day. And I asked, why do you think this is happening? And they said, brother, I love the way they say it. They speak really good English in Egypt, but they brother, it's because of prayer.
1: We are praying like never before. Persecution has prompted us to pray, and in one they credit a lot of this shift
0: to one prayer meeting on 11-11-11, November the 11th, 2011, 70,000 believers from all denominations in Egypt, Anglican, Copts, Catholic, Evangelical, got together in the Mokhtam Cave Church, which is built in a cave on the side of a rubbish dump slum. It can normally hold 20,000 people, and then they have adjunct auditorium. 70,000 people came for an all-night prayer meeting. And uh, I was staying with a family, my my Egyptian family, and um, they gathered this big extended family. And one of the brothers was the worship leader of this prayer meeting. And I got to talk with him and talk about how God brought it all together. And they prayed and they worshiped through the night. And you can go on to YouTube and you can put it in Mokotem uh, 11, 11, 11, prayer meeting, worship meeting, Sat 7 has full coverage there of the whole night. And see the passion and the desperation on their faces as they cried out to God. There is a um, Catholics and Orthodox and um, more increasingly Evangelicals are picking up some of the uh, the prayer life of the ancient uh, far, church fathers. And one of them is the Kriya Laison. Um, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And they say that quite a lot, and they've got little prayer beads where they'll say it up to 50 times. Well they did it as 70,000 people, a hundred times to the north, to the west, to the south, to the east, and believing that God was going to break through in the heavens 11, 11, 11. Shortly after that, the first revolution happened, and the Muslim Brotherhood was elected to power. And everybody was holding their breath because this dictator had gone. And they thought, what is this Muslim Brotherhood going to do? It took the Muslim Brotherhood one year to just about destroy Egypt. Um, Not many people realize this. The Muslim Brotherhood is the parent of ISIS. And so when the, um, the Christians continued this prayer meeting from 2011 right through the year of the Muslim Brotherhood, and they were crying out to God, deliver us from this one now in one year. God came and removed them completely, and the moderate Muslims rose up with the support of the Christians, and now Egypt is the last bastion in the Middle East that will not be influenced by the Islamic State. And that's a curious thing, because the Islamic State, while the Muslim Brotherhood were in charge of Egypt, this is a bit of an aside, they were looking at carving off part of Egypt to the Sudan. And then with the U.S., with Obama, they were going to gift some of the, the uh, Sinai to Palestine to create a Palestinian state. And the believers that I talked to, they said, well, the pr- trouble with that is God has decreed Egypt will never be split, will never be separated. I said, why is that? They said, well, we have archaeological and historic proof that when Jesus was an infant, he came and lived in Egypt when he fled in the four corners of Egypt. And they've got shrines and churches to those places. So Egypt will never be split. And then the people rose up. That never happened. And so they had to go to plan B. And plan B was ISIS. So they popped up in Iraq. And then they started to move across to Syria. But the, uh, there's a pincer effect going on. If you've got Iraq and Syria and then down into palestine squeezing in on, on israel and you've got south sudan starting to cut well, sudan sorry starting to come up as a superpower pushing in and you'll find egypt right in the middle refusing to give in and the prophecy we pray and we believe will be fulfilled that egypt will be the start of a revival of god's people in the middle east like we've never seen before in um, in history and so the, the church is already, the churches that are being burned are part of, um, a, a program, if you will, of discipleship preparation. Uh, Muslims are becoming Christians in unprecedented numbers. They're flocking into the churches saying, why are you reacting with love when all we've given you is hatred? Why are you reaching out and you, why are you the only ones ministering to these refugees when they, are our Muslim brothers and sisters. And uh, they believe that this uh, movement of God amongst former Muslims will create the largest church that's ever been seen in the Middle East and they're wanting to disciple them um, effectively and authentically and allow them to express their faith in Christ in unique ways. Um, Watch this space. The world's changing rapidly and uh, we hear nothing of it. So... My regular encounters with Egyptian brothers and sisters have taught me if there's one thing that persecution does, it helps to get to the bottom of who you really are. All right. Do you really believe that God has created you for his glory and therefore trust him no matter what the cost? As I shared with the youth group on Friday, it was a bit of a sharing time with adult themes, so it probably went whew. Over the heads by and large, but it was like in the tough times, who will you trust in and when the and it's an illusion if you think you're going to go through life all happy and nothing bad will happen to you because your whole faith will just fall around your knees, and people are flocking out of churches because of that reason they have the that unrealistic expectation: who are you, who do you believe God has created you for, or will you put yourself? Uh, First, and do anything to avoid pain and suffering. You know, the highest ethic of our age in the West today is the avoidance of pain and suffering. It sounds downright perverse as Christians when we say to people that God redeems us through that and that he changes us and transforms us through it. Just think of the euthanasia campaign when we say, oh, no, don't don't allow people uh, to be (laughs) assisted suicide. Um but you know God can use that pain. That just sounds downright odd in our age. But Jesus is our greatest example, who endured the cross because of the hope set before him. And that is our hope. So the title of my message this morning is Who Am I and Why? It's a question for me as well as, as you. So Tenakoto, Tenakoto, Tenakoto Katoa. Ko Takitimu, tōko waka, Ko Rimutaka, toku Monga, Ko Rumahanga, tōko Awa. Ko nāti ki Wararapa. Ko Natipro, Pro, ko Kaitahu, tōko Iwi. Ko Nati Rakawhakairi, tōko Hapu. Ko Ko Hunui, tōko Ko Jay Matanga ahau. My greetings to you all. My name is Jay Martenga. full name Jamie Martenga Wood. And uh, my indigenous roots come from the other side of these mountains behind us uh, in the South Water However, my earlier years were spent over in Porirua, um, Porirua East. I grew up in Cannons Creek, um, started life there. I'm a mission leader currently and will continue to be involved in leadership and mission. And uh, currently, as Bruce said, I'm directing the mission called Pioneers, which sends Kiwis to some tough places in the world so that they can be that light in the darkness. Excuse me. So thank you for the opportunity to share once again. I was last here in uh, February 2013. A lot of water has gone under that bridge. Probably for you as well as for me. Um, but God is using it for his glory. As I reflected on what God would have me share this morning, I felt really led to dig down deep and get a little bit personal um, with you and um, from that personal space share something of my journey with Christ, specifically the emergence of my sense of identity in him because it's integral to the way that he has led me to the nations. Very, very curious um, story, which I'll just touch on the highlights of. There's much more to the story, but before we get into that, uh, let's pray. Just open this sort of sacred space for God to speak um, through me instead of me. So, Father, I thank you that you are the Father that we can all depend on. You are the one who is there in the midst of our heartache, in the midst of our trials, and rejoicing with us at the highest joys. Lord, you delight in us, and you sing over us rejoicing over us with singing. We thank you for the precious uh, words of Scripture that reassure us of your love. Lord, your mercies are new every morning and your love is everlasting. And we thank you for the hope that we have in you. And we pray, I pray, Father, that you would take the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, Lord, that it would be acceptable to you, O God, and that it would be inspiring and and, uh, uplifting for your people here, the family of God gathered in this place. So we bless you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So who am I? <laughs> Today is Father's Day. It's, um, it's it's kind of an awkward day for me, actually. The um, I didn't grow up uh, with a particularly good model of fatherhood. And it was interesting that the first video um, focused on some of that, that God is our Father. And He was. I had to work hard to try and get that sense of fatherhood from God. I also don't have any children of my own, so it's not something I have much uh, much experience with, the whole fatherhood thing. I just get other people's children, fill them up with sweets, spoil them rotten, and send them back to their kids. Godchildren and nephews and nieces. But God has used my path for his glory, as he will use your path for his glory. The person standing you before you here today is evidence of absolute And unreserved grace. My background is something like out of a soap opera. I was born in the late 60s. Um, The byproduct of an extramarital affair, abortion was contemplated, uh, thankfully dismissed, which is pretty obvious to you. Uh, Instead, my mother courageously uh, decided to wear the stigma of being a, a solo parent, and back in the 60s, that still was a thing. Uh, she soon went back to work and I lived with my grandparents for the first three years of, um, my life before my mother married. So Wood is my stepfather's name. I was taken to live with her. One of my earliest memories is playing, uh, in our house. If you've been to Poirua, Poirua East, Cannons Creek, there's a roundabout at Poirua East. Well, our house was probably two doors down from that roundabout. One of those state houses that had the, um, the front doors sort of joined together. I was playing, vividly remember this, with a, old um, steel Tonka truck on the, um, on the porch. And then up our, our pathway came our neighbor with a knife sticking out of his chest, bleeding profusely, all tattooed up as rough as guts and just went inside. And then I don't know what happened after that. It must have got sorted out. Um, I don't remember him dying or I don't even remember an ambulance coming. But that's one of my earliest memories. I was bullied at school Mistreated at home by my stepfather and generally left to think that I wouldn't amount to anything. The soundtrack in my head was, you're useless. I mean, that was the way, back in the day, parents motivated their kids. You'll never amount to anything. Smarten up. Flick around the head. But my whole being, as a result of these experiences, was gripped with constant fear, absolute anxiety. Anxiety. And fear. My my lived experience was consistent rejection, and that old familiar feeling became something of a comfort to me. And I actively sought it out, uh, like a fix. It's, it's perverse when you think about it now. But by the time I was a teenager, we'd re- relocated over the Rumbuckers uh, to Martinborough, and um, from about the age of eight, I s- lived there and started to put my roots down there. But as I got to my teenage years, the cry of my heart, there was this song that was the top of the charts back in those days by a band called Foreigner, and it was, I want to know what love is, and I want you to show me. So I'm riding my trail bike around the trails and through the country roads and things, and I'm singing this at the top of my lungs and my helmet, and occasionally I didn't have my visor down so bugs would get in your mouth. But it was... God heard that. I'm convinced God heard that heart cry as a prayer because he met me not long after that. It was answered through the witness of a believing family and way out in the, the Wops. Um, how did I get to know this family? Well, I was trying to date their daughter at the time. Um, more rejection. But, <laughs> but at 16 years old, I began a relationship with Jesus. And was discipled by this family. And so too, the transformation process began that continues today in my life and will continue until the resurrection, quite frankly. We just, we never arrive until we've arrived. Um, 29 years later, my journey with God led me to my biological father. Uh, because of a family conspiracy, he, um, he had no idea I was his. So, um, there are reasons for that. Partly his wife was involved with, and was a family connected with the mongrel mob in, uh, Porirua. So my family didn't want a bar of that. My mother's family. Um, his life went on right here in the upper hut, actually. And although he's since moved north. So i when I met him, I discovered a faith-filled man who loves Jesus and our relationship over the past five years has been de- deeply and mutually rewarding. His faith has increased, and my orientation has shifted in, ter- in terms of who God has created me to be. Apparently, I'm the fulfillment of a prophetic word that he had over his life. Remember, he didn't know I existed. His adopted son and my half-sister, my half-sister is the head of Interflora, and a florist, my adopted brother is packing shelves at um, Bunnings, and neither of them is, uh remotely interested in religion, um, but Dad had a prophecy that his seed would be as the seed of Abraham and would impact the nations, and so he sat down, and we start sharing notes about how our life had gone for the past 40 <laughs> years, and um, And he sits there and he shakes his head and he says, "I." and he pulled out the prophecy. It was written down. And he says, I cannot believe you're a mission leader and you travel the world. And I can't say I've impacted the nations as such, but, you know, there's fully fledged God knows what he's doing in amazing ways. And um, so he is a man who is affectionate and affirming. He's quick with encouragement and expressions of pride um, about how God is using me, his son. I praise God for his glorious grace, because I know many for whom this story would be just something of a fairy tale. So they had no hope of coming true for them. Their parents dead or their real parents weren't as, uh, as faith-filled. Um, but believe me when I say God is no one's debtor, that he will love you uniquely, in unique ways, in ways that He wants to glorify Himself through you. This is my story. You you have your story. So through this connection or reconnection with my earthly father, God has expressed His love to me as my heavenly father. The Holy Spirit is leading me into the fullness of His love by revealing His plans. And as I look back, I can just see God's hand on my life in so many ways before I could even... Um, think of him, even knew who he was. So my father is half-caste Maori. His mother is a European mix, and his father is full-blooded uh, Maori. Uh, our people occupied the land around Lake Wararapa, and when I was about eight, we, as I said, we moved to Martinborough, which is my Turangawaiwe, and finally I put down some roots. When I was 16, I was baptized in the Rumahanga River, which is also my tribal awa. When I minister around the world, people, um, tribal people particularly, non-Westerners, they tell me that um, I seem to understand them in ways that they've never really had a relationship with a Westerner about. I seem to intuitively connect in ways that perplex my Western colleagues. And how can this relationship happen so fast? And I can just put it down to God's grace and DNA. (laughs) I am Jay Matanga of the Matanga Whānau. And um, I have been uniquely crafted by God to minister in two worlds I've come to understand as God's come to show me in a Western world and a tribal world as a bridge to help build intercultural relationships. And this is grace. Last week, I turned 48. There you go, the big reveal. Um, and I'm only just starting to become comfortable with who God has created me to be and who's transforming me into. So who are you? I encourage you to examine similar elements in your story and your family of origin, your growing up environment, the twists and turns, the heartaches and joys, the disappointments in your dreams. They're all unique, and God is crafting you for a purpose. Your story, like my story, is a story of authentic identity. It's a story of grace, and it's a story prevalent throughout the scriptures. And in the time we've got left, let's just take a couple of snapshots of the writing of the apostle Paul because I want to see want you to see the importance of knowing who we are throughout all of our genetics and all of our experiences and then the importance of being able to use that in a ways that were reflect, reflected in that video we've just seen for his glory. So if you can turn to Ephesians 1 I'll read verses 11 to 14. Just quickly, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. For he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this, why? For worship. So we would praise and glorify him. How special is that? This this passage, or the whole of scripture, but this passage is talking about you and me. And if you're into taking notes, I'm a songwriter, so I'm into... Alliteration. So here are some quick fire points. We are acquired. We are chosen. We are purchased with blood. Revelations 5 9 says, He chose us. He purchased us, this passage says, to be His own. We are acquired. We are accepted. We belong. I've just done a doctoral um, survey field research uh, particularly amongst Maori Christians in their uh, understanding of fano and fakafono tanga. And the one thing they said fano was was a sense of belonging. That's the one thing we should be as church. We should be a place where we feel belonged. And uh, we are Galatians 3:29 is another scripture that references that we belong. We're accepted. We're united with Christ. So we're acquired, accepted, affirmed. He has identified us as his own. He says, "You are mine." He affirms us as being that valuable that it costs him so much to win us, win us back from the enemy. Romans 8:16 is another passage you could look up later. We're affirmed, encouraged, affirmed as his children. We're activated. We're given a purpose. We're created for good works. And this is before the beginning of time. Imagine that, that you are apportioned for for a task that he has uniquely for you because of your unique makeup. Ephesians 2.10 is a wonderful verse that explores that more. And we are awarded. We are honored. We are given an inheritance for the joy set before Jesus. He endured the cross. He was awarded. Rewarded, acquired, accepted, affirmed, activated, awarded. This is grace. Why are we? What is the point of this makeup that God has has given us? It's the hope for every nation. We are called not just to be followers, as he's embraced us with all those A words I invented. Um, We are to be fruitful. But this, this... Who we are, our identity, our uniqueness isn't the end of the story. You'll see, um, if you recall the video, you can find it again on YouTube. His beauty is awesome. Um, They talk about the fact that we surrender our rights. And this is Philippians 2. And so while our identity is established in Ephesians 1, we need to look to Philippians 2 to figure out how to move forward as followers of Christ. You know it's it's true in a very real way you are God's gift to the world. It's often joked about, but there is nobody else like you who can do what you can do and be who you are in the world. And if you are not the authentic you, you are robbing the world of God's gift to the world. So often we're encouraged to, you know, the whole deny ourselves thing. There is an aspect of that that we'll come to But that's not to deny your core authentic self. And so you need to figure it out. Who has God made you to be and be that person? Anything less is robbing the world. But we mustn't use this understanding of who we are to be a tool of oppression and enforce our rights, our will to power, our overpowering of others. We're to use it to support and serve and love others. So Philippians 2, 1 to 11. I'm going to read this real fast. But is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from His love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy, Paul says, by agreeing wholeheartedly with one another, loving one another, working together in one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others, but be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Okay, so how do we do that? How, how do we ensure we do that? He says you must have the same attitude of Christ because this is what energizes and makes that possible as the Holy Spirit works through us to be all that God wants us to be. You must have the same attitude of Christ, emulate Christ. Though he was God, Jesus knew exactly who he was. He did not uh, uh, deny his identity. Even standing before Pilate, it is as you say. Um, He asked people to keep it a bit of a secret so it didn't cause too much problem. But he knew who he was. He was God. But he didn't think of that as something to be grasped or cling to or wielded as as a, a weapon. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave, and he was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself again in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, now we often forget the therefore. It's all very well humbling yourself and serving others and becoming a slave and denying your your rights and um, sake of the others, but Why? Therefore, God elevated him to the highest place of honor and gave him the name above every other name, that the name of Jesus, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father, for the sake of worship again. There's a clear pattern here. Bathing in Ephesians 1, knowing who you are, coming to know your identity in Christ isn't enough. You also need to embody the principles and the power available from Philippians 2, learning to emulate Christ, to copy Christ, to know who you are biologically, psychologically, emotionally, culturally, and spiritually, and then to lay aside your preferences, your biases, your prejudices, and your rights for the sake of loving others and allowing them, preferring them, before yourself. And know why this is happening. It's for loving service. This is our mission. This is the mission of God, to lovingly serve others wherever God has planted you, but to be willing for him to move you to love others in another location. It's as simple as that. Preferring others before yourself is loving service. To know what for, and the ultimate purpose is for mission, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess For God's kingdom advance, to extend the kingdom of God is why God has crafted us so. Because your testimony will not only overcome the evil one, it will overcome him in such a way that it attracts more into the kingdom of God, your testimony of what Jesus has done for you. And for a reward, we will be raised up and honored as Jesus has been. And we will follow. He, he is the first fruits. So the world is not well served with watered-down imitations. Copycats who are trying to be something they're not. I see it throughout the church, unfortunately. People who are emulating a person or a pastor they aspire to or that they admire, etc. Let's just be comfortable with who God has made us to be. Figure out how, how it's um, going to serve the world. And just follow him in that. The world needs authentic Christ followers. So know who you are in your many dimensions and allow Christ to work through your uniquenesses for his glory and for the glory of the Father. Whoever I'm banging a gong here if you haven't noticed. Whoever you are is who God wants. To send where he wants. To love whomever he wants. For them to be and to do whatever he wants them to be and do. You know, one of the things that the Egyptian church is being very cagey on, they don't want too many Westerners to come in and help them with discipling the former Muslim Christians. Because they say, you'll come in with your agendas and the way of doing things that isn't culturally appropriate for this situation. And so, that's kind please pray for us and support us but allow us to allow them to be who God wants them to be so embrace you surrender to Christ in loving service and see what he can do with you for his glory here and beyond here so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue on heaven and earth and under the earth will confess that Jesus is lord yeah amen and every language tribe and nation in that great worship event before the throne. To the glory of God the Father. So can you do that today? Will you believe it and make this your story? Live it out. If you need permission, I empower you to go and be you with the authority of the elders, of course. <laughs> uh, will you allow it to be used to glorify God anywhere in the world? That's the simple story. I've said yes. I. I tell people wherever I go that um, two two words will take you on the wildest adventure of your life in Arabic it's Arab in Maori it's in Fijian if I remember it it's in English it's yes Lord obedience it's better than sacrifice Father God, I pray that you would seal this in our hearts, that you would show us who we are meant to be. Father, you'd take all of our differences and all of our dysfunctions and that you would transform them into a glorious tapestry that we call your church. Lord, a, a glorious testament to the grace of God in the world, that we would indeed be lights in our communities. We would be salt permeating and keeping the enemy at bay just overrunning this place. Lord God, use us as you will. Glorify your name through us, we pray, for your glory, Lord, in all the earth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's the tradition of my forefathers uh, to sing after speaking, to bring a waiata. Um, I'd like to sing you a song I wrote about this deep desire in us for the acceptance and loving kindness of a father. Um, who can be more than we ever hope or imagine. And there, there's a couple of ways that it's a theme I've been working on for some time. We've got our own dysfunctions, and then we are the victims of other people's dysfunctions. And and uh, difference separates us. God wants to reconcile us. And so um, when we are attacked because we are different, the song talks about that in the first verse, and the second It talks about the fact that we can be our own worst enemies and our habits and our addictions and our ways of of self-medicating draw us into this place uh, where we enjoy a pity party for a while. Um, But Jesus meets us in both those spaces and calls us out, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I I will give you rest like you can't even begin to imagine. So the one who, in spite of our differences and our uh, dysfunctions, ac- acquires us at his cost, accepts us absolutely, affirms us as his precious people, activates us according to our skills, gifts, and talents, and awards us a wonderful inheritance of absolute peace. And I must say, there's a sweet spirit here this morning. It's coming through the worship, and I just felt this. I prayed for it earlier, but I just felt the, the Prince of Peace walking amongst us this morning. He awards us with total love, and he awards us with utter fulfillment. You will never find it anywhere else. But in his presence, this is grace. I don't have my backup singers with me today. I've left them in the bag. This is what heat does to a guitar. This is what God does to us through our lives.
1: So they don't like you Cause you're a little different from them What can you do? You got no basis for defense That's the way it is The way things are But something tells you That ain't the way things ought to be Great Why did you do it? swore you wouldn't take that path again There's something deep down inside
0: That draws you like a moth to the flame And that's the way it is The way things are But something tells
1: you That ain't the way things ought to be Great We stumble through the ground And on the way down We skin our knees With tear-filled eyes We look around We cry, yells Oh, want somebody please Make you feel better Somebody to the pain go away Daddy, won't you pick me up, envelop me in your safe embrace. Daddy, won't you kiss that place, and take the pain away, grace, yeah, oh, grace. Trying to walk right We stumble to the ground And on the way down We're skinning our knees Tear-filled eyes We look around We cry out Oh, want somebody please Oh, want somebody please Make it feel better Somebody make the Daddy, won't you pick me up? Envelop me in your safe embrace, Daddy. Won't you kiss that place and take the pain away? Grace.